I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Editing Podcast. So this week, we thought we'd demystify the language of publishing so you can talk with confidence about the various stages of your book's journey. Yeah, because let's face it, just like any other industry, publishing has a vocabulary all of its own. And if you don't understand it, you can feel a bit left out or confused. And Mm. nobody ever thinks to explain to you what all these terms mean. They're just a whole bunch of assumptions made uh, about people's understanding of the jargon and shorthand in publishing. Definitely. I know that when I first moved into editing from a completely unrelated career, there were a lot of terms I had just no idea about. Mm, yeah. And, and not working in-house meant I had no one to ask. Poor me. Oh. I know. <laughs> Mr. Google was my friend on many occasions. But but you worked in-house, Louise. Did, did you just pick up these terms by osmosis or was there training? Not training so much, but um, yeah, I, I, so I came from an in-house background, um, but I, I, I was in the marketing department, but I hung out with a lot of production editors uh, in the pub. I mean, the yeah, office. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the lingo just rubbed off on me over time. Yeah. Um, so it's very much about asking the experts around me. And that's the thing, like any jargon, it's not difficult once it's been demystified. Exactly. OK, so let's make a start by looking at the parts of a book. Generally speaking, a book has three sections, the beginning, middle and end. And I'm not talking about the storyline here. These are different sections with specific content and they're called the front matter, the main or body text and the end matter, which can also be known as back matter. That's right. Now, the front matter is also known as the prelims, just to complicate things. And that includes things like part title and title pages, as well as the foreword, the preface and acknowledgements, which we're going to explain in a minute. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll be honest here. Before I was an editor, I hardly gave any thought to the difference between these terms. I don't think I was even conscious that there was one. Care to explain a bit further? So, um, well, the foreword is not written by the author. It's a recommendation of work by someone else. And if you can get someone well known in the field to write a few paragraphs about your book, I really recommend you do that because it will give you credibility. Mm, so, for example, um, they can they could talk about how they know you and your work and, and why they recommend your book. Yeah. Now, the foreword is not the same thing as a preface. The preface is written by the author, and this is where they lay out the purpose of the book as well as its scope and content. It's probably worth noting here that you wouldn't expect to see a preface in a fiction book, right? No, you wouldn't, but you might see acknowledgements. Mm. So this is your chance as the author to thank uh, anyone who inspired you or supported you during the writing of your book. I see a lot of authors include personal thanks to those who put up with them when they were in full-blown <laughs> monster writer mode. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I love reading the acknowledgements. Mm. I like to see if there are names that I recognise and I love yeah. a peek inside the writer's world. Long-suffering partners and neglected children, they're often mentioned. Yes, and un walked dogs (laughs) (laughs) oh and we should also mention a couple of terms that you might hear a publisher editor or designer talking about and those are the half title and title pages 
This is another thing I wasn't aware of initially. And when I heard half title, I was quite confused. I was thinking, which half of the title are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I was the first when I first heard it. So um, I'll, I'll explain. The half title page is the first page of a book with any text on it. And in a printed book, it will always be a right hand page. The only text on it is the main title of your book. Now, you don't have to even have a half title page. Um, if you need to save space, there's nothing wrong with removing it. On the other hand, if the layout of your printed book means there's a spare blank page going at the beginning, you can add in your title and bingo, you've got yourself a half title. So let me just check this. You said just the main book title, so you wouldn't include the author's name or a publisher logo, anything like that? Nope. No, that all comes on the next page, which is the title page. Right. Even, as I, even as I'm talking about this, it sounds bonkers, but I this, know. Is, this is the way it's done in publishing. So. Yeah. The title page has more detail. So here you'd include the full title and the subtitle if there is one, um, the author's name and the publisher's name, which is also known as the imprint to complicate things again. <laughs> and you could um, also include the volume number if your book was part of a series or if it was a second or revised edition, you could put that in there too. Oh, so much to know. And we, we haven't even got past the first few pages yet. <laughs> People have probably fallen asleep. I know. OK, so let's move inside the book now um, uh, to the main text. So, Denise, why don't you tell us what goes on there? Sure. So let's start with page numbers. These can be known as folios, but I don't see that used as often now. And people just tend to talk about page numbers. Do you find that? Yeah, I'm seeing that term used less and less. And um, I don't think I've ever come across it when I'm working with indie authors. And yeah. I wonder if that's because so little work is done on sheets of actual paper these days. I think it's further confused by the fact that some people use the term folios um, just to refer to pages rather than page numbers. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, it's no wonder people have opted for simpler language. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, your page number appears at the outer top edge of your page or in the centre at the bottom of the page. Yeah, although again, I've seen lots of alternatives to this, <laughs> yes. particularly in heavily designed books. I think the conventions have loosened a little bit. Yeah. And the other, th the other thing to mention is that in academic and business work, you don't always include page numbers on every page, do you? Um, or you, you, <laughs> to use the old fashioned language, you don't use folios on every folio. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> The more I think about this, the more I think we should ban the word folio. I'm totally with you there. I mean, let's start an anti-folio campaign. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, no, you won't see it on some of the prelims or on pages that are blank, illustrated, or if they've got figures or tables on them. And sometimes the opening page of a chapter leaves it off too. Yeah, that's really common in academic publishing, especially if the page numbers are set at the top of the page. And the other thing we should mention is the style of the numbering. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's conventional for any page numbers in the prelims or front matter to take Roman numerals, whereas from the first page of the main body text, they use Arabic numbers. So um, tell us about spreads as well, Denise. And I don't mean <laughs> the hazelnut Nutella. I know you're so fond of. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Keep your hands off that. Right. So when you open a printed book and lay it flat, or when you see a PDF of this layout, the two pages you're seeing are known as a double page spread or DPS. Uh, this is referred to a lot in education textbooks where the design of the book is often counted in DPS. So one unit could be four or eight DPS, for example. 
And this, I suppose, is then when you need to get your recto and verso the right way around. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. So recto refers to the right hand page of a double page spread. Think R for right. And verso is the reverse of that page. So it's always the left hand page of a double page spread. OK, Louise, let's dig into a bit more detail at what's actually on our book pages. Right. So at the top of the page, you might see some things called running heads. Um, as the name suggests, running heads run across the top of your page and they can be in, uh, styled in lots of different ways. So you might have the title of the book on the verso or left hand page and the chapter title as a running head on the recto or right hand side of the page. Or in a multi-author book, you could have the author's name on the verso and the chapter title on the recto. Now, one thing I'd say is that not every book has to have running heads. Um, they're great for books where it's really handy for a reader to keep track of where they are. Yeah. So edu education, business and academic books. But lots of books leave them out. Um, heavily designed, illustrated books often don't have them. And I rarely, rarely see them in fiction. Yeah. So by deduction, can we assume that running footers do the same thing, but they're found at the bottom of the page, right? Yeah, although they're actually and perhaps logically um, called running feet. <laughs> I think it's and I, I think it's less usual to see running feet than running headers as well. Yeah, really, the content, styling and layout of the running head or footer, it will depend very much on your publisher's plans for your book or if you're self-publishing on the template that you choose to produce your book. Yeah, it's absolutely about preference, not rules. Yeah. So let's talk now about another odd term that we often see in more designed book pages, but people often don't know the name for. It's the drop cap or dropped capital. Now, some authors like to use this to make the first page in a chapter more decorative. So what this is, is when the first letter of the first word on the first line is larger than the rest of the text and drops down two lines or more. If you're DIYing your book, think really serious about how much value a drop cap will add in digital content like ebooks or um, especially web content because it can look lovely when it's done right but it can look like a right old eyesore when it's done oh, badly. yeah definitely uh, with web content in particular I think it could end up um, looking different across different browsers as well so absolutely yeah I mean putting the reader first is essential especially given that mm. we know how fickle website visitors are and how quick they are to leave with the reading experience being poor yeah so sticking it, um, sticking with that theme of drops, the other term that you might hear mentioned is the chapter drop. So this describes the space above and below your chapter title, and it's purely a design decision. So, yeah. um, don't 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 be fretting over it. Um, let's look at some of the lingo, shall we, for elements of a book that you might find in the end or back matter. So here we're talking about things like appendix, glossary, endnotes, bibliography, and the index. So I'll kick off with the appendix. This is what we call any additional material that you want to include in your book, but that wouldn't fit comfortably in the main text. I've seen these in fiction only rarely, perhaps mm -hmm. when an author wants to include some maps of a fantasy world. Although even when they're there, they're often included at the front of the book. So they're top of mind for the reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 
definitely true. Um, next up is a glossary. Um, so this is an alphabetical list of any important terms that you've included in your text and any explanations or definitions that you want to give to help make your reader um, make sense of your, your book. I think, again, just like with the appendix, it's just really about decluttering. Readers will find this information useful, but it's about putting it in a space that's not going to intrude. Yeah, definitely. And to keep things clear, make sure that each new entry is placed on a new line and perhaps use bold for the main term that you're defining. So what else? All right, yes, end notes. Some academic mm. and business books have footnotes, bits of additional information that would clutter up the main text, but that would be useful. So, for example, links to related material. And these sit at the bottom of the printed page. An alternative is to put them at the end of the book, and that's when they're called endnotes. And endnotes are generally less intrusive than footnotes. Well, you're so right. I remember years ago, proofreading law books, where the footnotes on each page took up more space than the main text. It was really off-putting. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, that's where endnotes do come into their own. But one thing I would say is that if you're publishing ebooks or web content, Think about how you want to offer this information because hyperlinks might work far better than swathes of endnote text. Yeah, that's so true. So we're nearly at the end. <laughs> I'm going to talk <laughs> quick, just quickly about bibliographies and reference lists. Um, so a bibliography is a list of all the works you've cited in your book and anything else that you might think will have been of interest to your reader. If you're only listing the works you've cited in your book, that's just called the references. Right. And finally, we're here at the end. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> and at the end comes the index. This is an alphabetical list of all the topics you've covered in your book and the page numbers where discussion of those topics takes place. If you need one of these, I strongly recommend you hire a pro. Honestly, indexing is an art form and a bad index is useless. It'll cost you money if you're printing. So let's make sure we put some links to indexing societies in the show notes, Louise. We will, we will, we will. <laughs> Great. So now it's time for Editing Bites, where each week we give you a couple of handy resources that we both love. So my bite for this week is the Chicago Manual of Style. CMOS is brilliant for explaining all the different parts of a book and about a billion other things too. It's one of my desktop essentials and you can get it online too. So I use it for good old common sense advice on lots of things to do with fiction editing. So don't be put off thinking it's just good for business, education and academic writing. Anyone can find value in it. That's a really great one. I love CMOS as well. It's one of my staples too. So my editing bite is this. Jargon in any industry can often feel like it's being used to exclude people from a conversation, but it's much more likely that it's simply being used as a useful shorthand. By learning and understanding this terminology, whether you're an indie author or a fledgling editor, you'll gain confidence in the language of the production process and be less anxious when making any contributions to discussion. And sure. for a resource... New Hearts Rules, like CMOS, is an excellent printed and online resource that will guide on publishing lingo and the elements of style. Yeah, fantastic. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe by your podcatcher. And don't forget to share, share, share. Tell your writer friends, your editor friends, your business friends, basically anyone who writes. Yes, and if you have any questions about publishing language, just let us know. Perhaps there's some weird term you've come across and you're not sure what it means and whether it's something you need to attend to. 
You can get in touch with us via the Editing Podcast Facebook page. And if you ask us a question, we will answer. That's a promise. And don't forget, all the links we've mentioned are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.